Good. All right. Let's open up to Psalm chapter 1. As we make our way through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. It has been a while since we have been in the Old Testament. We're kind of a weird church. We do go through the entire Bible, all 66 books, including the books in the Old Testament. So, it, uh, all, all I got to say is pray for the rapture of the church because we're going to be here for a while. <laughs> so, Psalm 1, and we're going to try to chunk them, hopefully tonight, 1 through 5. I have an agenda. Doesn't mean it's going to happen, but we are going to try. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and, he, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. Now the ungodly are not so, for they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you again for the VBS week that you just bless those kids in the back, the teachers and all who are serving. And Father, that our hearts would be like David, drawn to you, Lord, in the times of trouble, Lord, Lord, calling out, create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit. And so, Lord, thank you for your word, and we thank you for our time now as we journey through the Psalms. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have gone through all of the Psalms in a church service like we are doing? Raise your hand. Okay, now look around. Do you know why we do this? Because people come to Calvary Chapel, Myrtle Beach, and uh, they sit through a book that they have never gone through ever as a believer, and there is so much in the Bible. It is all of God's Word. It is not for the church to pick and choose what it should read or not read. It should go through Acts 20, Paul saying to the Ephesian elders, I am not shunned to declare the whole counsel of God. Now think about that. Maybe you have not gone through the book of Psalms uh, sitting in a church. How sad is that? That you haven't been able to see the glory that's inside of the book of Psalms or Proverbs or Ecclesiastes or Leviticus. And so we take you through the Bible here. And so tonight we start with the book of Psalms. Psalms are often called the Psalms of David, but only about half are directly attributed to the singer-songwriter David. Twelve are attributed to Asaph, ten to the sons of Korah, two to Solomon, one each to Moses and Ethan, He-Man and Ezra, 
and 49 or nearly one-third of the psalms are anonymous, like our psalm tonight, Psalm 1. And so there is a huge amount of information for us, but the thing that you need to know about the book of Psalms is that it's broken into five separate books. We're not going to really get into it tonight, but I'm going to give them to you, and then we'll mention them as we separate out from them. The first book is from Psalm 1 through 41, and then the second is 42 through 72. Book 3 is 73 through 89. Book 4 is 90 through 106. And book 5, 107 through 150. Now, there's a test next week. <laughs> no. We'll put it on the screen for you. Now, as we journey through, I want to encourage you on a couple of things. But first, you're going to note right away how Jewish this is. And that's just fine because we are Judeo-Christians. And so we believe in all of the Bible. But the flavor of the Psalms is very Jewish. It's very regal. It is very kingdom, king of David, king of Solomon, the kingdom of Israel. And with that, they used the book of Psalms as their worship songs. We were worshiping tonight, amen? Wonderful. Aren't you glad that we are part of a, and I hate to use this word, religion, uh, that likes to sing? I mean, we could be chanting right now. Who likes that? But we're worshiping the Lord, and I, I am so blessed how much talent that God has given the church over the decades and hundreds upon thousands of years to sing about the greatness of our God. It's interesting, in the early days of the Jesus movement, uh, when uh, contemporary Christian music was coming out, Maranatha out of Costa Mesa, they too were singing a lot of the uh, psalms as well. But they are, for the most part, written as psalms, at a songs. And with that, as even modern-day songs, there are a lot of emotions inside of a song, is it not? I mean, I'm not going to take you to the 60s or anything from the 70s, but you know even modern day, people write songs with emotion in it, right? Sometimes they're writing them from a place of desperation. Then you've got muskrat love. Come on. You've got all of this music, right, from all of these different generations. You've got country music. You've got all kinds of different music, all written from a different perspective and a different emotion, yes? Now, I want to caution you on something, because as a believer, we are not to be drawn by our emotion. David was. David was a very feeling, uh, often had uh, bouts of depression, but he felt things very deeply, and it comes across in his psalms. You can hear it from him. You can hear it when somebody who is writing a song uh, comes from their heart. By the way, Neely uh, is coming back in the fall, and I love how they write their songs because they write it from a biblical perspective, and it is very deep, and it is very emotional. But as a believer, that's not how we conduct ourselves. You see, we, with reason and understanding, serve the Lord and we worship the Lord. We don't let our emotions dictate 
how we uh, are as a believer. And so we have to be careful about that. Now, one last thing about this before we get into this psalm is that not all of these psalms pertain to us. Now, I know what you're thinking. How is that possible? It's in the Bible. I thought everything applied to us. Well, David says, break their teeth in their mouth. Now, I know what you're thinking. I'd love to think that. I like to echo that when I'm driving, when I'm doing this or that. But as a believer, we are to love our neighbor and to do good to those who spitefully treat us. Sometimes I feel like it'd be great to go back to the Old Testament. I mean, Lord, just, you know, cause fire and brimstone. I mean, uh, John and James said that to Jesus when they came through Samaria. Lord, uh, you know, we couldn't get a room at the Holiday Inn Express there. Uh, could we just bring fire and brimstone down? And he looks at me and goes, you don't even know who you guys, who are you guys that you would say such thing? Because they're going from an Old Testament perspective. They're coming, they're coming from a David perspective. Great, isn't it? Not for us. So, unbelievably, not everything that we're going to read is going to apply to us. I say that, but the majority of it does apply to us. And again, when you go through these Psalms, we're going to see that they relate to a topic, as we're going to see in chapter 3, David dealing with his family and what that looks like. And you can feel, okay, man, I, I know what that's like to go through what David has gone through. So that Psalm is going to minister to me. And so I encourage you to use notes, write them down, write who the, uh, uh, the, the section of Scripture that it's referencing and what David is trying to accomplish. And so he says, happy is the man or woman, happy is the man who walks, notice, not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. And so please note with me that the blessed man or the godly man does not do certain things. Did you see that? He is different. And so the writer in this, because it's anonymous, we don't know, the writer tells us that the godly are going to do things that the ungodly get to do. And so there is a distinction between the godly and the ungodly. You ever met a Christian where you can't tell the difference between him and the guy at work who's just a foul mouth, whatever? Well, the writer tells us there should be a difference. Again, there is a way that the the godly man shall not walk, a path that he shall not stand in, and a seat that he shouldn't sit in. So we can say that in a way of uh, speaking in the way that we speak today is uh, thinking, behaving, and belonging. There is a way that the godly man thinks, there's a way a godly man behaves, and a way that the godly man is Uh, belonging. I'm sorry. And so the righteous man and the ungodly man have differences and there should be a, you should be able to see that difference. Notice it says that he walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Now, uh, I'm going to be Captain Obvious here for a minute, but the ungodly have counsel. They have 
their form of wisdom, their form of understanding. And so the ungodly man, I'm sorry, the ungodly have counsel and the righteous man will not walk in it. With all the advice that comes to us from so many different sources, the righteous man knows how to stay away from the counsel of the ungodly. Can I ask you a question? Do you know how to stay away from the counsel of the ungodly? Do you know how to turn off the TV? There's a power button. Your phone turns off. Anybody uh, like the new iPhones lately, it's getting harder to figure out how to turn it off. They're doing that for a reason, trying to get us not to turn those things off. But you can turn them off. You can turn on something godly and listen to uh, an amazing radio station here in Myrtle Beach. There are things that you can do so that you do not allow that ungodly counsel to come in. First, the righteous man knows how to discern the counsel of the ungodly. Many fail at this point, even as a believer, because they don't even consider if the counsel is godly or ungodly. They hear advice or theories about their problems, and they find themselves agreeing or disagreeing or considering, is this godly or is it ungodly? The amount of information that we are bombarded with. How many of you remember encyclopedias? This is going to date everyone in the room. Not an app, an actual book. And you had it in your home, and they came door to door, and they sold them. Yes? And rem- All right, so we're all going to date each other here. So in school, right, in the different years, you had to do a state project and a country project. Anybody remember that? I'm from California. So you had to pick a country. Uh, I picked Uruguay because I'm an idiot. (laughs) And then you picked a state. Obviously, I picked Nebraska. That's where my family is from. And you, you, the only way to get the information on said Uruguay or Nebraska was to open up the encyclopedia, which had pages that referenced that, the demographics, the rainfall, all of that. Now, Jimmy just says, what's the demographics of Uruguay? And boom, right on his phone, isn't it? Now, that's good and bad. Because oftentimes we think, well, it's on the internet, it's got to be true. How could it be false? I mean, Facebook does such a wonderful job censoring everything else. Everything must be true they're talking about. Can you tell that I'm being a little facetious? Because sometimes I'm not sure. And so as a believer, we have to be very careful where we get our counsel from, where we get our information from. The righteous man or the godly man also is discerning to know that the counsel of the ungodly can come from oneself. Did you hear that? Do you know that you could give yourself bad advice? No. What does the Bible say? There is nothing good inside of me. 
on my best day, the Bible says, Paul says, it's just filthy rags. Do you trust yourself? You best not. You best take it to, as we're going to see in a minute, the Word of God. Be careful about getting (laughs) counsel from your own self. Our own conscience, our own mind, our own heart can give us ungodly counsel. That's why it's good to run it by somebody. Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Are you out of your mind? Who told you that? Myself. The righteous man knows, lastly, where to find godly counsel. Do you know where to find godly counsel? Psalm 119, verse 24 says, Your testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. The believer knows that he goes to the word of God. God's word is always the best counselor. The godly counselors will always bring forth the truth of God's word to help someone who wants counseling. We tell people, if you want counseling, you're coming to get biblical counseling. You're not coming to get my idea or Pat's idea. You're coming to get biblical counseling. We're going to point you to the Bible. And if you don't like that, then we can't help you. You can go to the, which there is no phone book anymore, but you can search it. There's plenty of counselors out there. Do they use Scripture to point you to, A, your sin, and B, how to fix it? This is what your problem is. Or let me show you David. He went through this same thing. Let me show you what Peter went through. Peter denied the Lord. It also says, nor stands in the path of the sinners. I know what you're thinking. There's no way he's getting to chapter 5. It's an introduction, man. Nor stands in the path of sinners. Hopefully you know this. Sinners have a path where they stand. And the righteous man knows he does not belong on that path. Do you know that? A path speaks of a way, a road, a direction. And the righteous man is not traveling in the same direction as the ungodly. And so there is a distinction there. Lastly there it says, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. The scornful love to sit, I know this is shocking, and to criticize the people of God and the things of God, and write books about it. The righteous man will not sit in that seat. When others are putting down Christians, it's easy to sit with them and criticize them. It's easy because there are many things to criticize in the body of Christ. There's a lot of wacky stuff going on. But it is wrong because when we are sitting in the seat of the scornful, we are acting like the ungodly. And I don't don't know why this has been a theme for a couple of years, and I keep bringing it up, but we have got to stop eating one another in the body of Christ. If a church implodes or a church 
loses a pastor or this or that, it is not for us to sit on the sidelines and gloat about it and say, I knew it was going to happen because of X, Y, and Z. We don't sit in the seat of the scornful. We are in a different place. Verse 2. But his delight, this is the godly man, is in the law of the Lord, and his law, I'm sorry, and in his law, he meditates day and night. That law of the Lord, I just want to say right away, just consider that all of the Bible. Everybody got that? From a Jewish perspective, they're looking at the first five books of the law. That's what the writer is telling it. But that, that for us, it's the entire Bible. So, the godly man delights in the entire word of God, and he meditates on it day and night. Listen, if a person delights in something, you don't have to beg them to do it or like it, right? If you have something you like, do you have to be told by your spouse to do it? No. It's something you like to do. You enjoy to do it. You don't have to tell me to do it. I delight in doing it. Again, they will do it all by themselves. You can measure your delight for the Word of God by how much you hunger for it. Oh, sorry. Did that sting a little bit? How much do you delight in the, in the Word of God? Now, you're here on Wednesday night, so I'm only talking to those at home. No. You want to come out for a midweek service. You've worked all day, you're tired, and yet you push through it. You come to church because you were delighting in the Word of God. You want to hear what God has to say to you tonight. Remember, for the most part, don't send me any letters, God does not speak to us audibly anymore. I mean, yes, every once in a while, but on, on one hand, I can tell you how many times I believe I've heard from God in that way, audibly. God reveals himself through his word more than he does speaking to us. And so if that's how he operates, why wouldn't I want to hear and read God's word? You ever been praying about something and you're going through your devotion and you're reading and it clearly jumps right out of the page. It is a declaration from God. That is the direction you are going. How many of you love when that happens, right? You're delighting in the word of God. And so you go to it because you know you're going to get the counsel of God. Again, in his law, he meditates day and night. The righteous man, the godly man, ponders the word of God. He doesn't just hear it and forget it. He is a doer of the word, not just a hearer only. He doesn't just hear about it and forget it. He thinks about it. Again, Christians should meditate on God's word. Now, in our modern world, to say the word medicate, well, I mean, we are in a modern world where people medicate. When, when I say meditate, we often go to Eastern philosophies and Eastern thought. Again, the Eastern meditation 
and its goal is to empty the mind. Some of you are like, man, I don't need to go there. It's already empty. Again, this is a dangerous thing because emptying one's mind may prevent an open invitation to deception or a demonic spirit. And people don't realize that. Not as a believer, because a believer cannot be demonically possessed. For a Christian, Christian uses meditation in this way. The goal is to fill your mind with the Word of God every single day. How many of you were raised on a farm with our favorite animal, the cow? Nobody. By the way, only 2% of America farms. It used to be up in the 50%. But no one really farms anymore today. Now, a cow in the morning time typically will go out into the field and he will get himself a great big mouthful of grass. He'll swallow it and then, then he'll go somewhere and sit. If you go to Arrowwood, we have cows run on the left-hand side as you go into the property. And it's funny, in the morning, they're standing, they're eating. But when we run into town to get parts uh, in the afternoon, they're all sitting down. Well, what are they doing? Because their little mouths are doing what? But what they're just sitting down. So not to be totally gross, but they bring up that which they have been eating in the morning, and they chew the cud and they chew it, and then they go down, and then it comes back again. (laughs) Sorry for those going to get something to eat after. And they do that all day long until they get every little bit of nutrient out of that grass. But what does a believer do? Oh, they'll read something and then go to work. But they don't They don't chew the cud all day long. They don't meditate, excuse me, on God's word. The Christian needs to be thinking carefully about the word that they read that morning or what the word they they heard uh, during a Bible study. Again, the meditation means they were chewing the cud. So the wise believer, the righteous man, chews on it day and night. Verse 3 tells us the result of that. The result of verse 1 and 2 is that he shall be like a tree planted by the river of water that brings forth its fruit in due season and whose leaf shall not wither and who and whatever he does shall prosper. So the result of The godly not uh, walking in the counsel of the ungodly, not standing in the path of the sinners, nor sitting in the seat of the scorner, but uh, meditating on God's word day and night. The result of that is that he he is plugged in to the source. And the source is living water. Jesus tells us, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. And so he's planted, he's he's deep. Notice that it brings forth its fruit in due season. A believer that is is doing verse 1 and 2 and who is planted by the river is going to produce fruit in their life. Jesus says, 
I want you to produce fruit and that more abundantly. As a believer, people should be able to come and receive fruit from our life. Look at the result in verse 4, the the distinction between the ungodly and the, the godly, and it says the ungodly are not so. What do you mean? Well, they listen to their own counsel. They don't read the word of God. And surely they are not planted by the rivers of water. And so what will they be like? Well, they are like chaff. Now, I was a little, I'm a little weary because be, when I asked you about the cows, and now I'm going to ask you about chaff. Anybody know what chaff is? A couple of people. We're, we're, we're headed in the right direction. It is the outside of the kernel of wheat. And what they would do is either an animal or somebody would beat that, and then they would toss it up into the air, and the wind would catch, catch the chaff, and the kernel would fall back down, and that would be that which they ground up into wheat to make bread or other sundry you know, pastries or whatever they would make. Notice what God says. He says, the ungodly are like nothing. Because chaff is nothing. It just blows away. But are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Speaking of a future, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And so there's always a promise to what God knows and what God will uh, measure out later on. Psalm 2. Now it's interesting because this psalm has popped up in the book of Revelation. And so it's, it's a future sense. Acts attributes this to David, even though it doesn't say David, the book of Acts does. In verse 1, it says, why do the nations rage? Why are the nations, and listen, against God? He says, and the people plot a vain thing. They're against the anointed. They're against the creator of the heaven. It makes no sense. If David is writing this, and he's like, Lord, I don't get it. Why do people go against you? How is it possible that they are doing what they're doing? In the book of Revelation, are we not astonished how many times we've seen and that they did not repent of their ways? All of the what God has befallen upon man during the tribulation period, and yet they still rage on. They still try to plot a vain thing. Notice the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together and against the Lord and against his Messiah, the anointed saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away the cords from us. When you hear the heart of man, all you hear is a heart that doesn't want to have anything to do with God. They are so against God and anything they can do, even the nations, even the kings of the earth, the rulers take counsel together against him. But verse 4 is great. And he who sits in heaven shall laugh. 
the Lord shall hold them in derision. This is the father. He laughs. And the idea is of scorn. It's this idea. Are you kidding me? You're coming against me? You're going to do what? He says, He who sits in the heavens shall laugh, and the Lord shall hold them in derision. And then he shall speak to them in his wrath. (laughs) You don't want that. And distress them in his deep displeasure. Again, we see that ultimately in the book of Revelation. We're seeing that played out on Sunday mornings. He says, yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. And I will declare the decree the Lord had said to me, you are my son today, I have, notice, begotten you, not created you. Jesus is not created. No matter what the Mormons or the JWs or anybody else says, he is begotten and there's a difference than created. He says, I will declare this decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son today. I have begotten you. Now ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth, your possession. Notice what Messiah does. And he shall break them with a rod of iron and you shall dash them into pieces like the potter's vessel. So the father is speaking, and then he speaks to the son. Notice he says in verse 6 that my king is on his holy hill. He set him on his throne, and now he rules them with a rod of iron. Again, this comes back to us in the book of Revelation. This is speaking of a future. This doesn't happen yet. This is the thousand-year reign of Christ. Notice you will break them, verse 9, with a rod of iron, and you shall dash them into pieces like the potter's vessel. Therefore, (laughs) be wise. Don't you love that? Therefore, hey, if you know this is going to happen, don't come against the Lord and don't come against the Lord's anointed, and certainly don't rage and plot vain things. If you know that that's what's going to happen, Be wise. Notice, O king, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. He's telling you how to have the fix. Look, don't plot vain things. Don't rage. And the idea of kiss was to come close to Draw yourself close to God, not away from God. Kiss the son, verse 12, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. Remember from last chapter, there is a way of the scornful. There is a path that they are on. They're in a direction. And so he tells us, don't perish in that path and in that direction. He says, when his wrath is kindled, but a little Blessed are those who put their trust in him. So there's a separation again in these first two from the godly and the ungodly. And so we're going to rejoice in the things of the Lord because we are not going to find ourselves in the seat of the scornful and we're not going to be like the ungodly. Chapter 3 
oh, now it's coming to, it's, it's starting to happen. Notice in chapter 3, it's our first title. Now, some of these psalms in the titles are going to give us an idea of what's going on in the psalm. If yours doesn't have a title, I'm sorry. I will read mine as we go through so that you'll have an idea, and then hopefully as we journey through, I will be able to give you the scripture reference on where to go with that. But in verse 1, it says, A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. Now, when did David flee from Absalom his son? Well, in 2 Samuel 15, it tells us that Absalom had a coup d'etat. Remember, he started cozying up to all of the young lads in the nation, and he would sit at the gates, and he would talk to them, and he was getting them on his side. And at one point, he made a military advance against his dad. Now, how is that possible, that Absalom would come against David? Well, you got to read the backstory. And the backstory is King David and his sons and his daughters and Abnon raping his daughter and David not doing what Absalom thought he should do. It's always interesting to me that people love to uh, share their opinion on what you should be doing in a crisis. Amen. How about we individually go through and we trust in the Lord? And Absalom certainly did not like the way that David had handled it. But again, until you're in that position like King David, you can't really throw stones, can you? We've got to be very careful. It's like when Lazarus was in the tomb and Mary and Martha, they were at home and the, the mortars were wondering what Mary was doing and it, it, they, they thought, well, obviously Mary is going to the tomb to weep and to mourn, but she was going to see Jesus. Oftentimes people are trying to figure out what we're doing during a situation, but let me say, it's none of their business. And David was in that position. Could he have handled it different? Hindsight, probably. But that's not for us to decide, it's for God to decide. And because of his inaction, some uh, say, I'm not sure I'm on that camp. And we can talk to David in heaven, and then it won't matter at all. But Absalom felt that he needed to, for the honor of the family, take care of Abnon, and he killed him. And now this family is tore apart, let alone Bathsheba, but that's a separate event. Nathan said to David, the sword will never leave your family, David. You will always have problems because of the sin of Bathsheba, let alone the death of the baby, the death of Uriah, and the testimony against the nations. There's a lot going on in Psalm 3, isn't there? But if you don't know the behind the story of the psalm, you're never going to understand what the psalm means to the one who is writing the psalm. It's like somebody who writes a song today, and if you don't, every once in a while, all right, I'll date, 
Remember, and I, I suggest nobody do this, but uh, this is uh, me before I was walking with the Lord. VH1 used to have those behind the, the document or the, you know, the rockumentaries. I figured it out. And they would do the behind the scenes of that band or how they did this and the drugs and all of this and why they wrote that song and came clean. And Well, it's the same thing with these psalms. If you don't understand it, then you don't understand the writer, David, and his family is torn apart and his son has usurped his authority. And his advisors are telling David to kill Absalom. David, you're the rightful leader. Take him out. And he says, nope. I'll just leave the city. Interesting, isn't it? And he is judged harshly by his military advisors for leaving Jerusalem to his son, Absalom. And at the end, did God take care of it? Absolutely. Absalom was eventually killed. His hair cut, uh, caught in a tree. Remember that? That'll teach you to cut your hair. He's riding his horses. You know, he cut his hair once a year, it said. And it was like a pound or something of hair. The Bible says, come off. And his hair got caught in the tree limbs, and he's dangling from it, and somebody comes and kills him that day. So this is David. And this is David writing from this perspective. Again, from the Second Sam, uh, Samuel 15 perspective. And he says, Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Now that makes sense, doesn't it? Now you know what's going on. Because if you read that, you're like, oh, that's just normal, David, King David. Oh, people are always against King David. Ah, this is in perspective. And now when you're going through what David has gone through, when people don't understand what's going on in your life and judging you and your motives, you can come to this psalm and you can read it like David and say, Lord, <laughs> how they've increased their trouble against me. And many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say, there is no help for him in God, Selah. We're going to talk about Selah in a minute. Now, notice what they're saying. They're saying, David is too far gone, and God was not going to help David. Remember, in the Jewish mind, God's favor is behind somebody who is ruling. And so their idea is, well, God is obviously behind Absalom. Is that true? No. Job's friend, friends, and I say that loosely, are absolutely convinced that Job has sinned. Is that true? No. Do you see how wrong people can be and seriously wrong? And David is in that very same place. And they say of David, there is no help for him in God. Now, uh, uh, from a biblical perspective, there is always help in God. No matter where you are, no matter what the situation is, you can always cry out for God because we are his kids. We are the king's kids. He says, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me and my glory and the one who lifts up my head. Why? Because David's head is low. 
No show of hands. How many of you have ever been in that place like David where everybody is against you and you're the only one who is thinking straight? You're the one who is trusting in the Lord. You are the one who needs their head lifted up only by the Lord. You know that he is a shield. Verse 4 says, I cry to the Lord with my voice, and he has heard me from his holy hill, Selah. Uh, let me say Selah. So that's a pause. It, it was meant to, as they were singing it, and they would get to the end of that Selah, it was like a pause. But it, it has a modern day of, what do you think about what I just said? So it's, what do you think about that? He said, I cried to the Lord with my voice, and the Lord heard me from his holy hill. He said, I laid down and slept, and I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. He says, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who set themselves against me and all around me. Now, literally, he could say that, couldn't he? The armies of Absalom are literally ten thousands of people against David. He says, he says, rise, O Lord, and save me. O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone, and you have broken their teeth of the ungodly. See, you can't, you can't go there. Like, I, I, I want to think like David, but I can't. He says, verse 8, notice, but salvation belongs to the Lord. Ultimately, David says, no matter how many people are against me, salvation is of the Lord. He says, your blessing is upon your people, Selah. <coughs> what do you think about that? Chapter 4. To the chief musician with stringed instruments. Oh my gosh, he had a guitar. There are people who are so against different types of musical instruments in the church. They had them all back then in a different form in a different way. Different times in the church has had different music. And David, it says, a psalm of David. He says, verse 1, Hear when I call, O God of my righteousness, for you have re uh, revived me in my distress. When he's calling out to the Lord for strength in the time of his trouble, what did David just say? He did it. Isn't it amazing what God's word will do? Listen, how powerful is music when you turn it on? And you turn on a worship song, and it's that song, and it just, you're like, how did Ron know to program that when I'm in my car on WXMB? And the computer's doing it. But you know it's the Holy Spirit. It, it knows, he knows when you need what you need. And it's the word, it's music, it's, it's something that in my distress, it keeps me going. He continues and he says, have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long, O you sons of men? Will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love 
worthlessness and seek falsehoods, Selah. So no indication of what this is about, but notice what David sees and David perceives in the heart of men. He sees men just like we see men going after worthless things and seeking falsehoods. And I'm not going to talk about politics tonight. (laughs) You can see that. They go after falsehoods and worthless stuff. He says, but I know that the Lord has set me apart for himself, him who is godly. Not going after the things of the world, but set being set apart. The, the, the New Testament t- tells us that we have been set apart to the things of the Lord and set apart a, away from the things of the world. It says, the Lord will hear when I call to him. <laughs> Verse 4. But listen to David's wise counsel. Remember, in context, he's talking about those of the, the, the sons of men who are going after worthlessness and seeking falsehoods. He says in verse 4, But be angry, but don't sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. With ungodliness all around us. Now listen, I'm just going to tell everybody this is the best that we got tonight. All right? I know you're loving chapter 1. Wonderful but listen to, we've got inmates running the asylum on planet Earth. And we see craziness happening every day. We see articles pop up that go against the narrative. I, uh, Israel this week said that 40, I think it's 40% of the new COVID cases in their country are all uh, be, uh, from the people who have already got the vaccine. And it was 0.000000 something of those who had natural immunities because they had caught COVID before. But I thought the vaccine was perfect and not supposed to do it. Israel just came out and said, nope, 40% of the new cases. What are we to do with that? <laughs> well, we can be angry, but don't sin. We're filled with stuff all against what's going on from transgender to the San Francisco gay men's choir telling they're coming for the kids. You can get angry. Don't sin. How do you do that? Jesus did it. He sat down and he made a whip. Now, I'm not suggesting that. (laughs) It is New Testament, though. How do I do that? David had reason to be angry. I believe that we have reason to be angry too, but he had no reason to sin, and neither do we. He reminds himself to not sin in his his anger and to find solace in meditation that comes from God's word. He looked at the world and he was angry at the world and angry at what was going on, but he didn't allow that to cause him to sin. Notice he says, meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. What do you think about that? He says, offer the sacrifice of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. 
There are many who say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. Notice, he, he, this, this is very Jewish uh, way of writing. Paul does this as well. He says the argument from the other side. And then he describes that and tries to answer that. And the argument is this. Who's going to show us any good? Um, you believe in that God of the Bible. Why does he allow bad things to happen? Are you tired of hearing that one? Because we're all sinners on planet Earth. This is a fallen world. The Bible says it rains on the just and on the unjust. Hurricanes come and go, not because of global warming, but because there's always hurricanes and earthquakes and fires. That's why. Who will show us any good? And he says, well, the Lord will lift up the light of his countenance upon you. He says, you have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that the grain and wine have increased. Please note with me, you're just going to find a nugget here or there. This is like Proverbs as well. Proverbs is just chock full of them. I encourage you all, all to read a proverb every day. There's 31 of them. You can go through them every day. There's always something in there for you. And every once in a while through these psalms, you're just going to find a nugget. You're going to highlight it or star it because he says, you have put gladness in my heart more than the things of the world that the world says will give you merry and pleasure in your life. It's not a new iPhone. It's not drinking. It's not a new car. It's not a boat. It's not sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It is gladness in my heart. It is from God. The greatest joy you will ever have is serving somebody else in the body of Christ, seeing them come to Christ, serving VBS, and seeing kids get excited for Jesus, going to the senior citizen's home and witnessing to people that have never heard Jesus Christ ever but they've been in a religious organization all their life. And they give their life to Christ at 90 years old. That's the joy of the Lord. And you have put gladness, God, in my heart. Lastly, verse 8. I will both lie down in peace. How does David do that? Because he's done what he has been called to do that day. It's one day at a time. I will both lie down in peace and sleep. The best sleep you can ever get, amen, is not worrying about the things of the world. Being content in the body of Christ. Paul says, be content. Wherever you are, Paul says, if you're a slave, you're a slave. If you're free, you're free. If you got it, you got it. If you don't got it, okay, you don't got it. But you're in Christ. He says, I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord. Listen to this. It's a giant circle. You alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. I rest in you, Lord. David's, most of David's life, that would be an interesting study, but most of his life, 
there was some kind of turmoil, something going on in his life where he did not have the peace that you would think that he should have peace. But he had peace from the Lord. We can go our entire lives, guy, guys, have situation after situation, illness after illness, trial after trial. I, I, I know I'm ending on this. This isn't very perky. But we can have that nonstop and still have what David had for you, O oh Lord. Oh, no, no, I went to the next chapter, sorry. Uh, he, he, he can say that I will both lie down in peace for you alone, O Lord, makes me, make me dwell in safety. The difference between the godly and the ungodly. There is a path for the godly and then there is everybody else. Read ahead. We didn't make it to chapter five, but we did do four. Read ahead. Just try to do this every time, unless it's a really long psalm. Try to chunk about three to five psalms each time as we go through. We'll try to make them each time. We'll have to edit out the video. Um, But read ahead because you're going to get to areas where you might have questions, and hopefully we can address 